Let's go. Good morning. My name is Brett McGarry. Hopefully you had a fabulous weekend. I have two people in studio who I, I know had a great weekend. Greg Mackling to my left because of the ice hockey had a good weekend. Yeah, the Jets played pretty well Saturday night. I'll take that. And Shanley Vidal is here as well, our uh, content producer, the morning show content producer who was at a certain concert last night. You're hearing the music right now. Who is this artist, by the way, Shanalee? This obviously is is Canadian superstar Shania Twain. And you had pretty awesome seats looking at your Facebook. Yeah, I was. Um, so I went with my mom because my mom really wanted to go. And I, I, I wouldn't have gone to, to Shania Twain just on my own, but she really wanted to go. So I took her and just happened to fall on Mother's Day. So it made me look like the hero. We had seats in the nosebleeds and then we got a last minute upgrade for whatever reason. Uh, I guess there maybe there's an issue with the tickets or something. So they gave us floor seats. So were you already in your seats or where did that happen? Uh, no, it was actually at Will Call. So when I went to pick up the tickets, they gave me the tickets. And then I went to take them to the ticket scanner person right behind me. And yeah. they were like, no, you have to go see the box office. And I said, I was just at the box office. <laughs> did you think you were in trouble? Yeah, I just was I was just really wor- stressed out about not getting into the concert and disappointing my mom. And then, and then I went back to the box office and he disappears for several minutes. And he comes back and he's like, oh, you've been upgraded to floor row 12. Oh, nice. So nosebleeds to floor seats. It was and, nice. and it was funny because it was only the show started at eight and we were only able to get in there until just before eight o'clock because they're rehearsing because I guess they got there late and then they wow. had to cover the ice that took about two hours. But it was a phenomenal show. And it was funny because what one of my friends says, oh, yeah, you have to go to, you're going to Shania Twain. Uh. You know what? It was the, <laughs> it was one of the most awesomest concert events I have ever seen, 1,000%. She was, she's an incredible performer and she had such personality and she struck me as very, very genuine, very down to earth. Um, there is, uh, like, she started off the concert like in the 200s, she came from the audience and walked all the way down. And right past you. Well, actually, that was another time she was in the crowd again because oh she wanted to get people from the audience. She wanted to get them up close and personal. She, she got about eight people and then she had them walk with her up to the stage. So she came right through row 11. So right through the row, right in front of me, we got to get a good close look at her. She's very, very short. In person, shorter than you think. I'm gonna look that up right now. How tall is Shania Twain? I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess five four. That'll be my guess. Probably. Gives it, I hate it when, I guess because we're in Canada, it always defaults to meters. Oh, no. She's 1.61 meters. Uh, 1.61 uh, meters. But she went up on the stage. She took selfies with all these all right. people. According to my calculation, that makes her 7 feet 6 inches tall. I don't she, think that's right. She, Five, swung, from, she swung from the ceiling. Uh, it was it was incredible. Her her, her um, The people she performed with on stage were incredible. Her opening artist, uh, Bastian Baker, he, he was great. He's from Switzerland, uh, and he performed. Uh, the song Party for Two with her. He, oh, was, yeah. he was amazing. And what was really cool at the end of the show, they um, they had streamers go off. I mean, at the fake end of the show. They had oh, the streamers come down yes. from the sky and they all rained down on you. And then she can't come back and, and she did the um, she did the encore. The song we were all waiting for was Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Okay. And then I think she did one of her new songs. And then they blasted us with all this, this like confetti. Uh, and it was all white and it was just like a whiteout. It was, it was, I don't know if it was meant to be like that, but it, but it, 
it it felt pretty special. Now you mentioned she was hanging from the ceiling. Is that yeah. where she was? She was like there was one point where it looked like she was sitting just in like a normal kind of kitchen chair. Where the legs crossed, but about 20 feet off yeah. of the ground. Yeah, they had her in like a harness, and she just, she moved from like the stage and it moved forward into the middle of, of kind of behind where all the floor seats are. Okay. And I guess they had like another little stage there. So she did like two songs from this harness. And what was neat is it rotated because we're like, oh, her back's to us now. But she was very, very slowly rotating. So everyone got a good look at her and all the people in the back seats got a really good look at her. And she really went out of her way to to give all of her fans, wherever they were sitting, the complete fan experience that I 1 million percent would go again. Was, even if you're not a big Shania Twain, fan she is just such a performer she did like six or seven costume changes one like immediately after another song didn't even didn't even see the dress come off and all of a sudden she's in this jumpsuit wow isn't that something i I, i'm not a huge country music fan and some people will insist I think to this day that Shania Twain is is borderline country. She's country rock, whatever you want to call her. But I've seen the Dixie Chicks twice, and I saw Shania the first time she came to Winnipeg, and and I've been to easily two hundred concerts. Top ten, both of them, very very good. I was disappointed that I didn't get to go last night, but Jackie got to go last and, night. And you know so. what? What was incredible too is is as soon as she came in, she she was walking past us. It was like all of a sudden a standing ovation, like the Queen is coming. Yeah. Everyone, everyone yeah. in the arena stands up, and then so she started, and then but everyone stays standing up on you know they're on the floor. So so I think there's only maybe three four songs. If even that, that people were actually seated for. Yeah. Oh yeah, for, the, the, for you know you're at a, you know you're at a good concert when everybody stands for the whole show. No question and, about it. And that. the audience was was really well behaved. You know, because yeah. sometimes you get the people who are a little too little too rowdy, a little too into it. But no, everyone is just really excited to be there. And it's a whole different experience now because everyone has the the flashlights on their phone. So all right. the people in the upper levels had their their phone flashlights. Instead and, and of the big lighters, it's the cell phone. Exactly. And she was commenting on that. Oh, you know, it lets me, I can see you when you do that. And she was um, connecting with them. And it's just a, going to a concert now is such a different experience because everyone is there like filming it or yeah. taking pictures and um, spending less time ab- absorbing the Yeah, experience. that's the one thing I, that, that drives me nuts. The person is right there in front of you. Why are you shrinking them down to your two inch by seven inch or two inch by five inch phone and watching them on the screen? Watch them with your eyes. They're right there. Well, when I do that, I, I what I'll what I try to do is I just kind of hold the phone up and make sure that it's on what I'm looking at, and then and then I watch. Actually, use my eyes to see what's happening in front of me. Not because you want to, you want to try to kind of find that balance of enjoying your experience, totally. but also capturing it so that you can revisit it down the road. Absolutely. Oh, hey, Shanley, thanks for coming in to tell us about this. Thanks uh, for we're, me. we're going to hear from KK a little bit later on too. Kathy Kennedy was at the show, and she had seats in the similar vicinity to you. Uh, looks like she might have been a little bit closer though. So even though you were uh, right there, she was a little bit closer. Maybe you guys could have like a a fight to see who had better seats. I don't know. Well, <laughs> Shania did walk right past Shanley, right through the crowd. So, she, oh, I think that's, that's going to be tough. To, that's going to be tough to beat. And you know what? I think no matter where I would have been sitting, I think it would have been an awesome show. So I think it doesn't. I mean, that was wonderful. But I think she just put on such a a wonderful performance. It would have been a great show from any seat in the house. Shanley Vidal, she'll rejoin us at six forty-five, and we have coffee and talk about gratuities. Listen to this. Buddy of mine last yesterday, he goes out for Mother's Day brunch, 
And uh, I'm not going to say where it was because it doesn't matter. And he says 35% auto gratuity. <coughs> 35? You've worked in restaurants. Is I've that? I've never heard of 35% yeah. percent autograt. No way. 20, I would say, would be the maximum I've ever seen. Uh, but more commonly, 15, maybe 18%. 20 would typically uh, knock people's socks off. 35? Yeah, it's a lot. Got 27,000 people-ish, you know, 15 to 27, I guess, because Saturday right. there was 15,000 at the Whiteout Party. Those are ticketed people, right? And then, of course, if you have a ticket to the game, you're free to come into the Whiteout Party. So if that's 15,000 people, I really got to work on my estimating skills because it was jam-packed in there prior to the game. It was... Uh, Jeff Braun said it in the newsroom. I'd hate to imagine 10,000 more people in there because they have now an entire parking lot with the biggest screen where people can bring their chairs and sit and watch the game. That's got to be three or 4,000 people all on its own. Anyway, incredible, uh, incredible event. And we need to talk about the ticketing, though, at some point this morning. So when you've got that many people downtown, it could be a recipe for disaster, but we've learned that's actually not been the case yesterday morning. Clay Young, who hosts the weekend morning show from 6 to 9 on Saturdays and Sundays. He spoke with Winnipeg Police Constable Jay Murray, who says there were no issues Saturday night. Here's a chunk of that chat. No, there really wasn't. Uh, Winnipeg fans have a lot to be proud of. Uh, We really didn't have any notable incidents. And from what I've heard, the Golden Knight fans and the crowd were treated with respect and class. It's just another great night for the city and the franchise. Okay, th- by the way, this is the first time hearing there were Vegas fans there last night. We, we ran into a number of them, and, and some posed and took pictures with us, but uh, they were very, uh, they're very respectful themselves and, and a pleasure to deal with. This is a really, uh, you know, the, the series is not over yet. It could be far from over, but it's such a, a really feel-good story. I mean, even um, after the party, everyone seems to leave in an orderly fashion. I mean, you've had... I believe uh, in the first series, there were some people that were picked up for being a little, you know, too tipsy. But otherwise, it's gone off without a hitch. Yeah, and I think that's expected whenever you have a crowd of that size and alcohol sales. But we've really been impressed. And the crowd really needs to give themselves a pat on the back because they've certainly made our job easier. They've made the job of of the various private security uh, contractors, their jobs easier. And, And I mean, it sounds... A little weird to say, but I think the, the crowd deserves the first star here. Constable Jay Murray with the Winnipeg Police Service chatting with Clay Young yesterday morning. Who'd you go see the game with on uh, Saturday? Uh, my buddy Jared flew in from Calgary. He flew in. He got here about uh, 9.30 Saturday morning. He was back in Calgary by 10 o'clock Calgary time Sunday morning, and he was just blown away. I, I mean, we were together in 2003 when the Flames were on their run to the Stanley Cup, eventually lost Game 7 to Tampa Bay, and they had the Red Mile, kind of the original street party in the NHL in Canada for this stuff. And uh, we both, you know, he's like, this is 10 times better than what they were doing in Calgary. Let's go, girls. Uh, Who are you calling girls? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Cherry. Cherry. We have to have a little chat after the show. 
Shania Twain, of course, in town last night. Driving through the downtown on my way to work this morning, Brett, there must have been a dozen semi-tractor trailers lined up to get into Bell MTS Place. A couple production trucks for the hockey game tonight. And then, of course, the uh, the massive amount of wheels, the massive number of wheels they need to haul <laughs> that stage and light show around for Shania Twain. So, uh, absolutely a <laughs> busy place downtown Winnipeg. And our colleague, our friend Kathy Kennedy, was in the middle of it all last night. We heard from Shanalee Vidal off the top of the show about a half an hour ago. Kathy Kennedy, are you awake yet? Well, I'm I'm here. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here. <laughs> I mean, I knew that I could text you early because I know you're an early riser with your uh, the Fast Five on your Facebook page. But I still had an, an inkling because I know the show. Like, what time did you get out of the show last night? Well, and you know what? By the time uh, I got home, it was probably 11.30 or so because the show, Greg, it's interesting you bring up the trucks. The show actually started a little bit late last night. And the reason for that was because they were having so many issues <laughs> moving uh, gear around and getting the floor ready. And it just, you know, this quick turnaround between a Jets game and a concert. Uh, yeah, they struggled a little bit. Well, I guess that means we're going to have lousy ice for the hockey game tonight. Uh, heck no, we got winning ice. Yeah, Come okay, on. okay, all right. So uh, it's not all about the Jets. Uh, tell us about this show. I, I saw Shania on her first tour. I think that would have been back in 1998 when she came to Winnipeg for the first time. She'd had, I think, two albums out already, and the rumors were that, oh, she doesn't tour because she can't perform, she can't sing live, and she dispelled those rumors, I thought, amazingly back in the day, how'd you do last night? Well, you know what? I mean, it's uh, I have a, an interesting perspective because, as most people know, I'm not a country fan. Although, I mean, you know, I know most of Shania's catchy songs, but um, I, I really was not prepared for the production I saw. I mean, this girl goes all out. Uh, the stage show was absolutely phenomenal. I mean. Clearly, she's taken a page from her Vegas residency and brought it out on the road because between laser lights and um, uh, holograms and, and all kinds of crazy backdrops, um, it, it really was a sight for the eyes. Uh, as far as Shania goes, um, she, you know what? This was my takeaway, uh, and, and many may disagree with me, but she just seems sad. I, I can't explain it. She played several songs from her new album, which, quite frankly, were all on low-key, down, uh, and she just seemed sad. I, I don't know. That was just my takeaway. Again, this is a rock girl at a country show. Perhaps I was wrong. You had good seats, too. How close were you to the stage? Well, well yeah, I did have some good seats. Uh, I was seventh row center. Beauty. <laughs> yeah, um good friend of mine, and uh, actually who we had on the air this week, Corey Cherko, is uh, Shania's musical director. And uh, so I was there mostly to see him, and, and Shania was kind of a bonus. But uh, yeah, her band, absolutely incredible. And you know what? The, the girl has not lost anything when it comes to performing. Greg, I'm sure that if you saw that show last night, you would have said it was on par with 1998. I mean, you know, she's a performer, no two ways. 
Corey Churko, for those that don't know, uh, his list of credentials is massive. And uh, the fact he's got a Saskatchewan uh, birth certificate, I don't hold that against him. But it makes me love him just a little bit less than I would otherwise. <laughs> well, and you know what? You're, you're right. The resume is long. Musical director for Shania, vocal director for Kelly Clarkson. Uh, has played with um, everybody from Elton John to, of course, uh, something near and dear to my heart, Greg, and to yours, uh, is also a member of the band Took, which is a, a Canadian band that uh, you're going to be hearing lots more of in the next uh, few years. Now, KK, you've been to a lot of concerts. How many have you been to, do you figure? Well, you know what? I, I was When you and I were texting this morning, and I, if you consider uh, bar shows, because there have been some pretty big names come to uh, Winnipeg bars. It's got to be over a thousand. And, and I'm going to just say that's because I've been to a lot of shows and not because I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> well, and actually that leads into my next question. I wanted to ask you, do you prefer the, the big arena spectacle kind of show like you saw last night? Or do you prefer those more intimate bar shows? Like if you go see a show at the Pyramid, for example. You know what? I, I do. Uh, I like both. I mean, I like the spectacle of a, a major production like we saw with Shania last night. Uh, but there is something to be said about getting up close and personal with some of these artists. And uh, uh, I, I don't know. There's a connection, a stronger connection, obviously, when you're in a, a room that holds 500 than when you're in a 15,000 seat arena, which, by the way, last night, uh, that show had to have been sold out or close to sold out. I mean, the Shania fans were there en masse. Yeah, they still had tickets available yesterday morning, um, but Lee was saying the same thing, that it looked like it it was sold out or close to it. And you you referenced that being nice and close. I, I mean, and I, ref, I use Pyramid as an example because I've seen the Watchmen perform there. I've seen Matthew Goodband perform there, and, and I used, always would get right up close uh, on the floor and I could basically almost reach out and and touch Danny Graves if I wanted to. Um, did I get that right? I always get the two Graves mixed up. You got Dan, it right. And David is your buddy for you got it right. with the Israel Olympic team. Uh, but then when I saw Justin Timberlake perform at the at Bell MTS place a few years ago, the entire hockey floor was his stage. It was insanity. Were you at that one, KK? No, I was not at JT's show. And I, I was there, and it was spectacular. Uh, once again, not necessarily something I would normally go and see, not necessarily my genre of music, but y- you have to take advantage of an opportunity to see a show like that. Well, and, and the one show this year that I, I, you know, I'm so upset that I missed was Bruno Mars because he does the mm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Shania did. She ended up playing uh, in the center of the floor, she came out on a, I'm not even kidding you, guitar case, which um, was was lifted up about uh, 30 feet in the air and zoomed her across <laughs> to the uh, the center of the ice, and she performed uh, in the middle of uh, in the middle of the floor. It was kind of uh, spectacular to watch. And the other thing, if I can just throw in real quick, that I have never ever seen in a concert, which left me shaking my head. So after she finished her songs at the center of the floor. She walked down and picked about uh, seven people from the floor, brought them on stage to take selfies. Nice. <laughs> it was it absolutely, you know, you've, the, the one girl who was up there uh, was just freaking out. I mean, can you imagine if you're a huge Shania Twain, 
you get picked to come up on stage and take a selfie. It was incredible. Good for the fans. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine uh, Dave Grohl handpicking me to get up on stage. Foo Fighters to do the same thing. <laughs> like they always let, they always get a fan up to drum or to play a guitar or something at the Foo Fighters shows. I just want to go on stage and take a picture because I can't do yeah. any of those things: sing, play guitar, or play drums. <laughs> so, uh, just can I just have a picture, please, Dave? Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same way. If, when Iron Maiden comes back to town, oh boy, I am on stage with Bruce in my head, and, and it's going to become real. <laughs> well, if anybody can make that happen, I think it's our, our very own KK. Kathy Kennedy, thank you very much for uh, for telling us about your experience last night. We appreciate that. Thanks, the guys. Have a wonderful rest of Monday. Okay. Probably going to have to go take a nap now, I would imagine. KK, uh, was a late night up early for the Fast Five. Make sure you check out her Fast Five on Facebook if you don't already do that. 6.45. Shania Twain's first Winnipeg visit, March 27th, 1999. <clears throat> One of our listeners says, uh, I know this because uh, my daughter was born that day and we had tickets to go to that concert. Oh, well, look at that. Fantastic. I guess that means they didn't go to the concert. They didn't go to the concert. Sorry about that. I wonder if that's something they remind their daughter of all the time. <laughs> Hey, one of thanks. my one of my Facebook friends, he had a baby born on Saturday night. He had tickets for the Jets game and everything, and uh, his wife went into labor. So they, uh, he said, uh, "Yeah, uh, it was a tough decision." But <laughs> 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 I was at the hospital. Hey, uh, chances are you've dined out over the past while. It's not uncommon for a gratuity to be added onto your bill at a restaurant, especially with the larger group, six or more, typically the cup cut off. Today we're having coffee talking automatic gratuities. Do you think it's fair? Should there be a maximum percentage added to your bill? And Brett, why are we talking about this this morning? Talking about this because a buddy of mine, he texts me yesterday and says he went out for Mother's Day brunch. I'm not going to say where. I'll just say it was, you know, uh, a large uh, dining room. And I don't know if it was a buffet. Don't know the details. But all I know is that his bill was 36 bucks each for this brunch. Reasonable and, enough, right? Yeah. And, uh, and he said it was tremendous. But he was stunned when he got his bill because there was a 35% automatic gratuity. That's a high automatic. And I, yeah, so I immediately asked you because of your time in, in restaurants. I thought, well, maybe that's common. I don't know. Because I've had automatic gratuity. I think 18% seemed oh. to be the number that sticks out for me. The first time I experienced it, I thought, are you kidding? Because the service was terrible. I didn't want to leave a tip, period, but I had no choice. So, yeah, 35%. Uh, well, I guess we'll start with you, Greg, because you have the restaurant experience. Like I said, I, the most I can ever remember seeing anywhere was 20%. And I think I would have been in Vancouver uh, out for a friend's birthday about 20 years ago. And it was a very large group. It was about 16 to, to 18 people. Uh, but, Kelly, I'm with you. I think 18, like uh, 15, sort of the norm moving into the last decade or so and then it kind of got, got bumped up to to 18 percent in the last little while at least in my experience and i i have no problem with the big tables because uh, i've been there done that where you give outstanding service and then you've got one group you know of two that'll tip you heavy and then somebody else will tip you not at all, and it, it, it it's very demoralizing, and 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 it's a a large 
investment on on the restaurant's part and not and on the server's part. Well, yeah, and, and the thing is, too, when you're looking after a large group, if you ace it, everybody's meal was served to the correct position right. on time and uh, the meal was prepared properly in the kitchen, then, you know, there should be some kind of a reward for that. I know when we go out for dinner, you know, if the, if the uh, service is really exceptional, we'll tip 20%. Uh, but uh, I'm with Brett I and, and Greg as well. I, I don't think that a tip should be arbitrary. You know, that uh, if the service was bad and you had to send the food back a couple of times, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good. I, I'm going to think long and hard about even giving you 10%. No, 100%. And you need to, uh, you need, I'm the type of person, though, I always speak up, right? When yeah. situation and, like and that I'm comes up. I'm a generous up. tipper, too, by the way. If right. we get great service, then. Well, no, clearly, no 20%, you sit in my section anytime. Jerry? Well, when I was a server, I worked at a place where if the table was over 12 people, it was an automatic 15%. And uh, and that that really helped out because at the end of the night, you know, the servers have to tip out. They have to share with the, the kitchen right. staff and whatnot. Yeah. And you don't want to be, you know, if you're spending all your time on that one large table, that's your only tip for the night or that's right. for that couple hours anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I think it completely makes sense. But 35 percent, that I, I want to be a waiter again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he said the bill was $36. And then every, then once they got their bill, it ended up basically being just shy of 50 bucks a piece. Shanley Vidal, uh, when's the last time you went out for dinner? Um, I I can't remember. I think it was probably within the last month or so. I mean, typically, I generally tip 20 percent, usually in that range. If the service is bad, I might tip 15 or, or if the service is bad you tip or, 15 or or or, or wow. 10 10 if it's really wow. bad um but i can't not tip but the thing about the i don't added gratuities i don't think i've ever been in a situation where it's been added onto my bill before even even in a group setting really no uh, but i don't have that many friends right so uh, <laughs> 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 but just the, throws yourself right under the bus on the, uh. on the plus side it does for those of us who struggle with math and oh how much is this and what's the percentage of that well it kind of makes it easier so you don't have to, to worry about if it's already added onto your bill well then you need the seinfeld uh, tip calculator by the, the wizard. wizard by the way what's uh, today jeff today is the 20th anniversary of the series finale and uh jeff you seem like the kind of no-nonsense guy who would not tip no i am exactly like Lee. i tip 20 percent across the board regardless even if the service is very very bad like they like i see them put their foot on my plate, then they only get 15%. Wow, really? So, yeah, it's just automatic. Where just have you it. people been all these years? <laughs> and I, I never would have had to go into radio. I could have just stayed in the restaurant business. Now, I've only yeah. really come across uh, automatic gratuity like on, on a cruise ship, where, but that's a different game they're playing on a cruise ship. And uh, I don't know, maybe this 35%, maybe it was maybe it was just a Mother's Day only special. Like, Yeah, it could be because it was probably are, insane People busy. are coming regardless, so we can do whatever we want price-wise. Busiest you know? day of the year typically yeah. in the restaurant mm-hmm. business, right? So Yeah, I think actually uh, my sister used to work at KFC, and Mother's Day was their busiest day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing says Mother's Day like a bucket of chicken. <laughs> well, we're getting a couple of text messages here on the subject. Uh, we had one here. Tyson says, automatic gratuity is an awful idea. It's more like a hidden fee. Tips, to me, are the equivalent of buying better service. The, the, that's right. That's what it are. A tip stands for to ensure prompt service. Mm-hmm. That's the acronym. That's where it came from. And so a tip was supposed to make sure should that be you got every- Shouldn't it be T-E-P-S? 
Insure. Insure. Yeah. It's well, like insurance? Didn't say anybody was Instead good at, uh, at, at, That's at, why they at English. But the bottom line is when you are working for tips, you're not supposed to expect it. You're supposed to earn it. However, there are times and places when you need to have that auto gratuity on those on those big tables, no question. Dip, 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 dip. The city has come together to watch the Jets in the playoffs, no matter if it is live in the stands, at the street party, or in their own homes, even if home is far from Winnipeg. Norma Jean Vlachich and her husband are Winnipeggers currently living in China. Wow. Where he teaches at Clifford International School. The school happens to teach the Manitoba curriculum, so the majority of the teachers are from Manitoba. They've been streaming and watching the games with their students, and Norma Jean joins us live from the city of, well, why don't we let Norma Jean tell us exactly where she is. Where are you, our new friend across the... The Pacific Ocean. Hey, ni hao. Uh, yeah, Guangzhou is about 70 kilometers west of Hong Kong. So we're in South China. So today the temperature was 38. So a little warm. We need lots of t-shirts. No kidding. Maybe need some Winnipeg is good t-shirts, Norma Jean. Talk about how this. No kidding. <laughs> well, we can hook you up now. So tell us how this is. You know, obviously you're halfway around the world, and the and watching the games in the middle of the night has to be a little bit interesting. Or what time of day are the games on? In fact, well, uh, you know, it, it's okay when it's uh, an evening game because it can be seven a.m. or eight a.m. and that good time we um, my husband and I have now a playoff breakfast that we like to call it uh, instead of beer and uh, but I saw that the fifth game is going to be at 2 p.m. start so just really need to pull this off and do it in four because I don't like to get up at 3 a.m. yeah just for those who don't know uh, Guangzhou it is 8:09 p.m right now and uh, one of the things i wanted yeah, to ask 15 you hours ahead and uh also because we're speaking to norma jean in china that's why there's about a second or two second delay uh when we finish speaking and she begins speaking but i wanted to ask you because i learned this about guangzhou that uh you must be happy as a winnipegger because winnipeg is no are known for being thrifty and i see that guangzhou is known Best known for its wholesale markets, i.e. <laughs> cheap shopping. <laughs> yes, actually, there is uh, a place that you can go that is the world capital wholesale market. And it is amazing. You can buy one keychain or 100,000 keychains. don't know what I would do with 100,000 keychains, but how much would that cost me? <laughs> Oh, you know what? The the bus to get there, which is about an hour, costs about a dollar fifty Canadian. Isn't that something? Now I know uh, Norma Jean. In my time of living away from Winnipeg, uh, I used to get bugged about being from Winnipeg. But I also know that I converted a lot of people over the years 
into having an affinity either for the Blue Bombers or the Jets because people just see my passion about it. And especially since the Jets returned in 2011, I've had all sorts of messages of support all across Western Canada from old friends of mine who are like, I'm behind the Jets 100% here in Vernon or Calgary or Vancouver or friends in Mexico, wherever they might be. Are you converting all sorts of of folks uh, in your part of the world in, in Guangzhou to uh, to cheer for the Jets now? Okay, well, my husband is a Leaf fan. Not his, not his problem. He was born in Toronto, but he is now a Jets fan because the Leafs aren't playing anymore, are they? No, no, they are not. <laughs> that's that's fine with me. So he's he's amongst the converted himself then. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's a lot of teachers that are American and from other countries that teach at the school, and they are all uh, pro-Jets fans now. So does he wear his Jets jersey when he goes to work? It's too hot. Too, oh. <laughs> it really is too hot. <laughs> uh, so, Norma Jean, do you have yeah, any plans? It's almost, and... it's almost it's a little hot. So, Norma Jean, do you have any plans to one day return to... home? Uh, hopefully August to pick up some t-shirts. No, but did, do you have any plans to one day return home? Or, like, are you there forever? Oh, yeah. Well... Both our kids are are there, so I guess we should probably go back sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Haven't you heard? Kids ruin everything, Norma Jean. Hadn't you heard that rumor? (laughs) Yeah, they both go to U of M, so. That's fantastic. Maybe sometime. What an adventure you're on, and and thank you for uh, for sharing a little bit of insight into it with us. Uh, Absolutely fascinating stuff, and there's really only one thing left to say. Well, and uh, go Jets, go. I was going to try to do it in Cantonese, but I didn't want to insult any of your Chinese listeners, so I won't try. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you know, and I listen to CJOB every single day because it it brings me home a little bit. Well, Norman Jean Vlachich, we appreciate uh, that you reached out to us, and thank you for speaking to us today and giving us uh, some unique insight from across, way across the globe. Excellent. You guys have a great day, and go just go. Norma Jean Vlachich and her oh, husband, cool. Winnipeggers, living in China. It's 8.09 p.m. in Guangzhou. He teaches there at Clifford International School, and again, Guangzhou, known for its wholesale markets. <laughs> so Winnipeggers would feel right at home there. Just west of Hong Kong, and we've actually reached out to another big Jets fan who has done sort of the inverse of what the... the um, what the Vlachists have done, they live in Hong Kong and they're watching on TV. We've reached out to a gentleman who's come home to Winnipeg. He lives in France. Yep. He's here right now. He came home for game one. He'll be here tonight for game two and then heads home. So hopefully we can reach out to him. My buddy Jared, who came in from Calgary on Saturday morning, said about a third of the plane had jet shirts or jerseys of some description on. So lots of people, lots of expatriates uh, coming home uh, for these celebrations and to be a part of it all. It's Mackling and McGarry on CJOB.
joining us in studio, Brian Smiley of MPI. Canada Road Safety Week kicks off tomorrow. Mr. Smiley, thanks for taking some time and joining us in studio this morning. Um, good morning, and thanks for having me on. We're, uh, we've got some nasty things to talk about this morning, unfortunately. Uh, and why is that, Brian? You would think with all the education uh, that, that, that MPI and the police, RCMP, Winnipeg City Police, the conversations we have on radio every single day about wearing seatbelts, about keeping your speed down, distracted driving, the, the list is unfortunately growing of the things that is contributing to us being lousy drivers at times. Well, 2018 right now is going to be a real bad year on our roads for fatalities. Right now we have 23 people killed on our on our Manitoba public roadways and, and that's double from what we had last year and that's so forty four percent higher than the average over the last five years. So that's why we're on today. That's why we're raising awareness about this. This is uh this is people being killed on our roadways. Uh again, it's the same old stuff we're seeing out here. People not doing up the seatbelts. Uh, they're intoxicated, they're speeding, and again, the, we have to get the messages out for people to start taking accountability for their driving actions. It's really that simple now. So I guess I'm, also, I'm on your website, uh, mpi.mb.ca, and that's front and center there, 2018 Manitoba road fatalities, higher than average heading into Canada Road Safety Week. I'm also at uh, canadasafetycouncil.org, and uh, they've got some some tips here on what you can do and it might sound almost pedestrian to say, well, you should do this and do that, but clearly we need to do this and do that. Well, absolutely. And what we see, uh, particularly in the rural areas, is that uh, a lot of people aren't doing up their seatbelts. Uh, and obviously with the higher speeds, gravel roads, deeper ditches, if they go off that road, that vehicle is going to roll. And if you're not buckled in, you're going to either be thrown out of the vehicle and, and the vehicle will roll on you or you'll be thrown out of the vehicle and you'll hit something and you'll be killed. And we're seeing that. And it's it's unfortunate. You just scratch your head and you go, seatbelt? It takes one second to do your seatbelt up. We're still seeing impaired driving out there. Uh, again, alcohol, and we've talked about that many times. But, you know, when we look at the numbers, we kind of scratch our heads and we're going to go, you know what, now it's up to the drivers. The drivers have to start taking some accountability here. It's a three-pronged approach to try to change driver behavior. Education and awareness, and that's where Manitoba Public Insurance comes in. And then the third component is law enforcement. And we have we have very strong partnerships with the law, uh, law enforcement agencies in Manitoba. Just very recently, as you folks have talked about, we had a dedicated distracted driving campaign in April. That was with nine police agencies. They handed out hundreds of tickets for people who were driving distracted. We're going to have another campaign in July and another one in the fall. So again, those campaigns are very effective. We're going to be launching uh, during the May long weekend. It's called Road Watch. We've done that for about 20 years. And that's a dedicated anti-drinking and driving campaign. That's where you're going to see roadside checks. And again, that's with police agencies throughout the province. And again, MPI will fund those. I know you hear this feedback. I know you listen to the radio. You're on the internet. You watch television. There are some still in our community that believe those enforcement programs are nothing more than a cash grab. That's what we do here, absolutely. But what we're trying to send the message is they also send a very visual message to motorists out there. If you're driving by a check stop, you might think to yourself, I might get, ch- I might get pulled over and, uh, and checked on that. And, and, but that's not the message. The message is don't kill an innocent person on the roadway. What if it's Greg or Brent driving back from the, with their families on the highways and somebody loses control and smashes into your vehicle? 
I mean, they're killing innocent people in many situations. And in some situations, they're not only killing themselves, they're killing their passengers. So it's about uh, saving lives out here. This is what we're talking about right now, saving lives. And I mean, I'm getting a little dramatic about this, but really, uh, it's, this has been ongoing for years now, and we need to send the message out to people out there. If you're speeding right now, why? Just slow down a little bit and drive drive the speed limit. You know, I don't understand. Then the seatbelt one really is a pet peeve of mine. It takes one second to do up your seatbelt. And, and we're seeing, in, again, in rural Manitoba, people not doing up their seatbelts, being thrown from the vehicle, and they're getting killed. And some of them who aren't getting killed, they're getting catastrophically injured. And that changes their lives forever. Yeah, we uh, what we just had a couple of weeks back, uh, there were a couple of crashes on the highways where alcohol mm-hmm. was involved in both of them. Real tragic stuff. And uh, one of the tips here that I'm looking at, I mean, and some of this, you just pointed out how simple it is to put on your seatbelt. And another one, this also sounds simple, but it's so it's so important. Uh, the question is simply asked that the Canada Safety Council is asking is, can you see them? Just being able to to see what you're doing. All right, or pay attention at least to what you're doing. Right, and again, uh, May is Man- May is Motorcycle Awareness Month, Man- uh, Motorcycle Safety Month, and we talk about looking twice for motorcycles because they can get in your blind spot. So you have to be very aware of motorcycles out there, and vice versa for the motorcycles. They need to be aware when they are in a blind spot and to get out of that blind spot. Uh, again, it's just all about driver experience in many situations. So, uh, But you know what, guys? Uh, 2018 is not shaping up good here on our Manitoba roadways, and last year, ironically, was one of our best years, so... Uh, this is why we want to get ahead of this. We're only four months into this month, into this year, and we can turn it around. What model do you think works best in terms of changing people's uh, behavior, Brian? Does it have to be that multi-prong approach, or do we have to step up the enforcement side, raise fines, or is it just continue to beat people over the head with this information? You know, it's a combination. It's really a combination of everything. And and I can't speak for the provincial government working for uh, Crown Corporation. However, the provincial government just recently announced new laws that they're going to be bringing in in the fall relating to distracted driving. First-time offense, you're going to get a three-day suspension on that driver's license. Second-time offense, you're going to get a seven-day suspension on your driver's license. So they're beefing up the laws in Mm -hmm. that respect. There's also consequences from the Manitoba public insurance side of things on your driver safety rating. You get an at-fault collision, you start getting... uh, uh, convictions that's going to drop you on that driver safety rating, which affects your premium or your discount on your auto pack premium. So right now, if you're at the bottom end of that scale, you're paying $3,000 for your driver's license. And we've got a couple of hundred of them that are paying three grand for their driver's license because of their driver actions. Brian Smiley from Manitoba Public Insurance Week. Canada Road Safety Week kicks off tomorrow. You can get more information at mpi.mb.ca. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us on. The creativity being exhibited by Winnipeg Jets fans and Winnipeggers overall is absolutely mind-blowing. There was one fella there on Saturday night. He was carrying around... I guess the frame, a picture frame would have been about two feet by three feet tall. Okay. And he was dressed as the queen. <laughs> so he was essentially the queen's portrait. And people were stopping him to get his picture. Of course, there's already the queen with the, with the you know, the guard uh, on hand that, that's been a, a fixture at Jets games for years. But yes, someone dressed as the queen with the frame, absolutely 
brilliant. And the fella that wears the white tutu and his sign says the Jets are too, too good. (laughs) Well, to talk about how the last street party went and maybe get a preview for tonight's street party on Whiteout Way, we're joined by Dana Spiring, president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. Dana, good morning to you. Good morning, guys. How, How are you? Well, doing great. As I always say, I'll let you know, I guess in this case, uh, in about 15 hours, I'll let you know how I'm doing. It's kind of up to the Jets right now. Dana, I know that you implemented the uh, ticket uh, policy and and handing out free tickets for the Whiteout Party this past weekend. There was a little bit of criticism uh, about that system. How do you think it went overall and and, uh, how are you adjusting the system for tonight's party? Well, you know, guys, we've said all along, we're, we're learning as we go here, and, and Winnipeg has never hosted a party on this scale before, and so every time, you know, we host one of these street parties, we get all of our team together after, and we figure out how to make it better. We did issue the ticket policy uh, previous, just before Saturday's game, because we needed to make sure that we could limit capacity. We wanted to make sure that we didn't get into a situation where thousands of people are coming downtown and the party was at capacity and they couldn't get in. So there were safety issues um, surrounding that. And, and you know, we're, we were trying to figure out the best policy we could to make sure that, one, we could keep everybody safe, and two, we didn't disappoint fans that made the trip downtown and, and ultimately couldn't get into the party. So, you know, we issued a bunch of tickets. 27,000 tickets went in about 11 minutes. Uh, unfortunately, we had some issues with scalping and, and some different things, which was certainly not the intention of any of the organizers. So uh, yesterday we issued another 10,000 tickets, and uh, it looks like things are improving for today. And, and, you know, we'll keep doing our best to make sure we get this system the best it can be. So do you mean there are 37,000 tickets instead of 27? No, 27,000 is capacity. But what we learned from the first game is that, you know, there were a lot of tickets that went unused. So when we first put the tickets up for sale, there was eight thousand or people could take up to eight tickets uh, per transaction. And I think a lot of people took all eight thinking, hey, maybe just in case we'll use these. Uh, And that really took away from others who may have wanted to attend. So there's a bunch of smarter people than me that do a bunch of math to figure out how many people are actually going to use their tickets and, and where we're at. And we thought it was fairly safe to issue another 10,000 yesterday, and uh, I, th- I believe there's still a few left, but uh, we're hoping to see 27,000 people down there tonight. Now, the official count for Saturday was 15,000. Is that correct? Yeah, so it was a little bit lower than, than you know what we had in previous games, certainly lower than what we had intended. So, again, I think that goes back to people taking the maximum amount of tickets that they could, just in case, and not using them. So we've, we're trying to you know, correct that problem by issuing some more tickets. Now, I was at the game myself being a season ticket holder. They did not scan my season ticket pass. So I and those that I were with that were going to the game, that were at the party prior to the game, I'm assuming were not counted in that number, number Dana. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we want to make sure that people that are going to the game get to experience that street party as well. But we also know that that capacity will be limited for a period of time, right? We know that if you've paid you know, whatever you've paid to get into that game, when the puck drops, you're going to be inside. So we're, we're less worried about that capacity. We're more worried about the people that are staying outside for the duration. Now, Dana, one of the things that Greg has uh, been curious about is if there is any plan to expand the, por- the party into Portage <laughs> Avenue. Any thoughts on that? That seems to be the, uh, the topic of the day. You know what, guys? We're, we're, we're trying to figure out the number of people that we can accommodate downtown while keeping everybody safe. And so we're working really closely with the police to make sure that, you know, there's enough policing services, there's enough emergency services 
that are available to accommodate the, the big numbers that we're having downtown, we think we're pretty much at capacity. We don't think we can go a whole lot bigger than 27,000. What the actual layout will look like, you know, if we happen to go to round four, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. And again, we continue to meet after every party to try to make it the best that it can be. So we haven't made a decision on that yet, but I think that, uh, you know, 27,000 is getting up to our maximum capacity. Dana, does this uh, provide an opportunity perhaps for communities and other corners of the city maybe to start their own parties, maybe at Assiniboine Park or at the Forks or maybe at Kildonan Park and in different parts of the city in, in order to accommodate people that might feel as though that, that this is a restrictive situation uh, going on downtown. Could could we be making this uh, more uh, a larger thing throughout the city? Yeah, absolutely. And and we've encouraged you know community centers and and various people to go and have their own jets party. You know, we wanted to make sure it's it's a welcoming environment for everybody. We need to keep everybody safe. But we appreciate that everybody in the community, you know, whether you're a diehard hockey fan or not, wants to be part of this excitement. So. You know, we've encouraged other other groups to uh, to have their own parties, and you know, we'll we'll help to accommodate whatever we can, and and if we can help out, we're happy to do that too. But you know, we, we really have to make sure that if we get fifty thousand people in the downtown, they're safe, and and we can keep them that way. Dana Spiring, thank you very much for joining us this morning on six eighty CJOB. Dana Spiring is the president and CEO of Economic Development Winnipeg. Hey Brett, I, I know when I was going to school, food allergies were. Nothing we knew anything about. I never knew anybody with an EpiPen. Didn't ever worry about what kind of food we were taking to school. Peanut butter sandwiches were a staple for half the people I knew all the way through school, either as a snack or a lunch almost every single day. Yeah. Uh, but I know when I send lunches uh, to, with my kids to school, there is a very lengthy list of things they have to keep into account. Yeah, I, I ate peanut butter sandwiches every day. Through all of school, and I still eat them almost every other day. Toast and peanut butter, that's often dinner for me. (laughs) That's Kelly Moore's go-to every single morning, right? Well, May is Food Allergy Awareness Month. There is now a new resource at one Canadian university that aims to help support students with food allergies. Food Allergy Canada has unveiled its first Canadian guide for post-secondary institutions. To tell us how a guide like this can help students and whether we could see more universities across Canada jump on board, we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Beatrice Pavolo, Director of Advocacy and Media Relations for Food Allergy Canada. Beatrice, good morning to you. Good morning. So I see that uh, 150,000 post-secondary students in Canada live with food allergy. Greg just made the comment he didn't really know anything about food allergies when he was a kid. This is the same thing for me. Have this many people always had food allergies like this, or is this a relatively new phenomenon in the last 20 years or so? Well, I think we've definitely seen more students and more children affected by food allergy than we have in the past. Uh, currently in Canada, we have about 7.5% of the population, of which are 150,000 post-secondary children that are affected by food allergy. So um, we're actually just waiting on some new data to come out soon, but I think we can definitely see that um, food allergy has affected more and more over the last 10 to 20 years. So what is the purpose of this guide, Beatrice? Well, the guide is really to help universities and colleges across the country um, have kind of a set of criteria they can look at when they're trying to accommodate students with food allergy. 
because unfortunately, when we're looking at a transition from high school to university or college, it's a big change for a lot of these students that may have been uh, more used to having different policies in place or, you know, being with mom and dad, for example. For many of these kids, it's the first time that they'll be living independently, learning how to either cook for themselves or go through meal plans, live, you know, live with others in dorms, for example. So it's a whole new world for them. And we found that in many universities across the country, there were there were some policies in some and not in others, and we thought this was a great way to be able to bridge that gap and be able to help schools look at what they can do and also help students understand what's expected of them as well as how they can be supported by their, by their school. So how will this guide be distributed then? Um, so we, uh, we have it as a free downloadable resource for any school uh, across the country uh, on our website at foodallergycanada.ca. Uh, we've also done mailings directly to universities um, and colleges across the country to make them aware of it. And uh, we launched uh, we launched the guide at a um, at a media release a couple of weeks ago at McMaster University, um, and hoping to kind of really raise raise awareness right across the board. So clearly, as the awareness rises throughout the country, anyone who's in post secondary uh, institutions now has likely grown up with these limitations in terms of what they can take to school for food, etc. And also we've seen a change within the restaurant industry. I can only imagine that over the last several years, the food preparation areas in post-secondary education uh, facilities are also changing. They are. They are, absolutely. And, and as you said, there's been a much more greater awareness over uh, the last, I'd say, last 10 years, five years or so, um, in all of those areas. And unfortunately, it is becoming a more prevalent issue. Um, and I think that the universities, especially as they are kind of preparing for these students to come back in September, um, you know, some have had some really great policies in place and will continue to do so. And we hope with this guide, we'll have more of them looking at some of the best practices that have been taken on by other schools and, and maybe be able to be implemented in their facilities as well. Do we know why there are so many people now with food allergies? Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question, to be honest with you. Um, Right now, we don't have a specific cause for food allergy. Uh, A few things that people have looked at in the past and that continue to be researched, um, genetics may play a part. So if you have a parent, for example, that has an allergy that could be um, passed down to the child. Uh, We've also talked about the hygiene hypothesis before, where unfortunately our immune systems right now in Western civilization, we don't really have a lot to fight. As we did in the past, so unfortunately for some people, the immune system, you know, looks at different foods such as peanuts or milk or eggs or some of the other allergens and sees them as kind of foreign and reacts. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's not a specific cause right now. And as we know, there's no cure for food allergies. So really being vigilant and careful uh, is, the, is the best way to stay safe for these individuals. Beatrice, I know uh, you're not a doctor, so uh, I hopefully I'm not ambushing you with this. But I have a, I play golf with a friend who has... Uh, he always carries an EpiPen around. If uh, in the event he were to ever have a reaction to something, um, yeah. I, I don't, and, I, and he was unable to administer it himself, is, is it easy for someone to, to do it? Or is like, do I have to, do you know how to, how to administer it? Absolutely. I mean, uh, an EpiPen, for example, which is the the device that's available here in Canada, is meant for lay people. So it's meant for families and kids and and other adults to be able to use quite easily. Um, And it is something that we do encourage people to know how to use in case of an emergency, even though the individual who has the allergy is is ultimately responsible for their own safety and, and hopefully being able to administer a device should they need it. 
other people around them, if they know how to use it and can assist, it may go a long way in helping to in helping that person. Because in if someone is having a reaction, they may not be able to administer that device themselves. So uh, for others around them to know how to use it, it's very simple. It's kind of a two-step process. Um, it makes it a lot easier and, and greater support for people out there that might need help. Food Allergy Canada has unveiled their first guide for post-secondary institutions in Canada. Beatrice Pavolo is the Director of Advocacy and Media Relations for Food Allergy Canada. She's been our guest. Thank you, Beatrice. We appreciate this. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. You too. 8.44 on 680 CJOB. And you know what? Come to think of it, the allergy that he has is peanuts. And I often bring peanut butter sandwiches to the golf course. Oh, great. That's kind of why I figure I should know how to use the EpiPen. Yeah, that's pretty good. I say to him, is this okay? Or like he a, says yes. He's like, yeah, it's cool. All I'm, right. I was, around, I was around them all the time. He's not, you know, it's not like we're sharing the sandwich or anything. Right. But uh, still, you know, it, uh, I really should to figure out, I should learn how to do it on the off chance that he's exposed to something that sets him off. What are you going to do when he gets a hole in one? He's not allowed to take the ball out of the cup on his own. It's your <laughs> obligation to do that as playing partner, right? Really? Yeah. I think so. Isn't it that isn't that the tradition? I don't know. I thought so. That's not a I, I can honestly say that's not territory I've come to yet <laughs> with uh, the lack of skill I in my to, golf I, game. I thought that was the uh that was part of the uh whole thing was not taking your own ball out of the out of the cup. That sounds about right. That yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. So you'll have to be careful if that ever happens. You know we love our Winnipeg Blue Bombers around here. Number 38, Willard Reeves played 5 seasons at least five too few in my opinion in 1984 he helped lead the blue bombers to a gray cup championship he rushed for 1733 yards that season wow he managed to become the second leading rusher in winnipeg blue bomber history during his time as a Blue Bomber, behind only Winnipeg Blue Bomber great Leo Lewis. He was subsequently passed by Charles Roberts years ago, uh, but he remains the third all-time leading rusher in the history of the Winnipeg Football Club. Yeah, and uh, the Golden Knights maybe Las Vegas's team, but there's actually a fair bit of Manitoba connection to the team, including right-wing Ryan Reeves. His father, Willard Reeves, a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, as Greg just said, joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Willard. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you aboard, Sheriff. Uh, nickname uh, for a long, long time now. And uh, saw you at the game on Saturday. And uh, was tough to see you in that Golden Knights jersey. I understand why you're wearing it, but it just doesn't feel right, sir. Well, sometimes, you know, you just have to do what you have to do. You have to follow family. It's, uh, um, it's one of those things you just... You just have to do, and people have to suck it up and understand that. <laughs> and I know you received a warm reception. Uh, you're beloved in our city, and uh, great that you decided to retire here. Uh, you know, you were around, as mentioned, for that 84 Grey Cup season, the 22-year drought uh, destroyed in 84. The city essentially stood still for three days following that Grey Cup and the big parade that culminated at Winnipeg City Hall. So you know how passionate sports fans are in this city but have you seen anything that you're seeing now like that in 1984 or since 1984 not, Willard sorry not since 1984 have you ever seen such a, a passion for uh, a team that's on the verge of, uh, of 
let's say the, the first uh, Stanley Cup, you know, or you know, at least going into the Stanley Cup. Uh, I think the city is, uh, is 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 due for it. I think um, minus if you can get by Las Vegas, but uh, you know, if the city can get, if the Jets can get by it, I think it's going to be great for the city. So, so uh, Greg uh, mentioned or mentioned to me off the air something that uh, your son said uh, after I guess it was after the game or before the game. Greg, what was that that Ryan said after the game on Saturday? Uh, uh, Ryan's been quoted as as being asked what what it's like to go up against Bufflin and and whether or not he's the toughest guy in the NHL and. Without hesitation, Ryan kind of suggested he's the toughest guy in the National Hockey League. And there is a survey that would back that up. 43% of the NHLPA says he's the toughest uh, guy in the league. So uh, no shortage of, of confidence uh, on behalf of, uh, behalf of number 75, Willard. Well, none. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's the way he plays his game, is the way he's always played the game. And uh, he's tried to be the best, just like I tried to strive to be the best when I played football. And that's instilled in both my boys. And um, if the if the survey comes out and says that he is one of the toughest uh, persons in the uh, National Hockey League, then there might be some validity to that because the fact is the way he plays. Um, just ask uh, uh, Weaver and uh, Wheeler. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, uh, Ryan Reeves put Blake Wheeler into the Las Vegas Golden Knights bench uh, head first and uh, right upside down. Willard, talk about being a sports parent. You're a football parent and a hockey parent uh, to your boys, as you mentioned. Were you a laid back parent? Did you kind of let the coaches do their thing? What, what was your strategy uh, bringing up two boys playing sport? I was laid back. I, uh, I mean, I cheered a lot. I, uh, Got kicked out a couple of games in hockey, but uh, um, pretty much I let the coaches do their thing, especially in hockey, because I had no idea what the heck hockey was, you know, or uh, how to coach it. But football, I coached both my boys, and uh, I didn't give them any uh, uh, any leeway because they were my kids. As a matter of fact, I think I was a little bit harder on them than I was with any other kids. Um, but you can see that uh, both boys, they they play to the best of their ability and uh, and they're very good at what they do. Just looking at pictures of your son, all you got to do is Google Ryan Reeves and you'll see a bunch of pictures and in all of his headshots, he looks like a scary guy. Is that sort of, uh, is that his mantra that he wants you to fear him? No, no, he's, uh, he's a good looking kid. He's, uh, he's my boy. Uh, he's not a scary kid. It's just when, uh, you know, just like in anything, you know, you're on the football field or you're, or the hockey uh, hockey ice there, um, you have a different uh, facade about what's going on. You know, whatever's on the other side that has that does not have the same color jersey you have is a, a open game. And when you're walking in the public and uh, you're amongst uh, your, your, your peers, your friends, and even your foes, um, yeah, you have to act right uh, in society, and I think that's what my kids are uh, are doing. They're they're very well respected in the community, and also in their uh, sports. 
Uh, Willard, I had the good fortune to be around uh, two of my hockey heroes growing up, Ulf Nielsen, Anders Hedberg, and Bobby Hall on Friday night. And Bobby Hall always insisted that the autograph be signed in a way that people could recognize that autograph. Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nielsen, uh, very much subscribed to that philosophy as well. Where did you get your sense of community in terms of being so accessible in uh, Winnipeg when you were a member of the Blue Bombers, because you were always so great with the fans. Where, where did that come from? It, you know, it just came from, you know, growing up watching uh, other uh, top athletes, you know, taking the good and uh, throwing away the bad. And I thought that uh, uh, one of the good parts about it is to uh, be accessible to the people that comes out to cheer for you every single uh, week or or day or whatever time when you play. When you play. And, um you just have to be that way. Um, you you are playing a sport that people love, uh, that they are admiring you. They um, they come out to watch. Um, it's your opportunity, and it's and I say it's your duty to be out there and be uh, be there for them as well. Uh, sign autographs. You know, take time to talk. Um, even go participate in some things, and and that's what I do. It's. Uh, uh, it has helped me along the way. I think a lot of people remember that. As a matter of fact, some people um, come up to me and say, you know, uh, I can't believe you're actually talking to me. And I just look at them and say, huh, I'm, I'm only human. You know, we're going to, um, you know, yeah, I was a professional athlete, but, you know, I'm also a human being. And I'm also appreciative about, you know, for your support that you guys gave us when I was playing. And I'm pretty sure that's what my kids are doing as well. Willard Reeves, former Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Great. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. You guys take care. Willard Reeves, former Bomber and the father of Ryan Reeves, big guy from the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I still pray at the altar of Willard Reeves, one of the best football players ever to wear blue and gold. We got one of your buddies on the line, Greg, because he's been bestowed quite the distinctive honor. I don't know if he's going to be even allowed to speak to me after this. 12 Manitobans will be invested into the Order of Manitoba this summer. The honor recognizes Manitobans who have demonstrated excellence and achievement, thereby enriching the social, cultural, or economic well-being of the province and its residents. One of these recipients is a good friend of 680 CGOB. Proud to call him my friend, Dr. Grant Pierce. Good morning, Dr. Pierce. Good morning. Congratulations on this. Thank you very much. Gee whiz, uh, I, like, uh, I'm surprised you're even talking to me today. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, honored that you have me on. <laughs> Dr. David Barnard, along with a variety of other uh, Manitobans going to receive this honor. Amongst them, uh, Dr. Or Mr. Robert Christensen, Mr. Bill Lowen, or Rob Nash, and... Uh, guy that I absolutely love who does this incredible, incredible uh, program out of the West Broadway Youth Outreach. Ken Opalaki is uh, also being honored. Dr. Pierce, how'd you find out you were getting this honor? Um, I received a phone call from uh, uh, the the Honorable Janice Philman, who uh, informed me and then told me to be quiet until it, until it became uh, known on May 12th. How long have you known about this? Uh, maybe a couple of weeks. Wow. My goodness. You're very good at keeping a secret, Dr. Pierce. I was instructed. <laughs> I do what I'm told. 
<laughs> so obviously, uh, your research in cardiovascular medicine brought scientific acclaim to Manitoba, and your participation in terms of not only creating the research but spreading the, the good word on not only your own research but the good research, incredible uh, research being done at Albertson Research Center, playing a big role in this. But uh, can I out you on something here? Sure. Well, you're not do I, even. Do I have a choice. You're not even from Manitoba. <laughs> you weren't even oh. born here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been here for over 45 years, so I think that uh, allows me to be considered as a Manitoba resident. And my team are the Jets, so, you know. Dr. Pierce, where are you from originally? I was born uh, in southern Ontario, grew up uh, around Hamilton. Okay, because I was just curious to know if it was... If it's from Saskatchewan, because that's a, that, that would be explained why Greg is outing you like that. Yeah, that would be a non-starter for our friendship, I think, although Bob Irving's from Saskatchewan, so I do bend that rule from time to time. So yeah, maybe that's one of the things we do talk about on the health report whenever we have you on the program, just uh, the incredible work that's done here in Manitoba, not only by Manitobans who've decided either to stay here or go abroad, whether it be to Boston, to Texas, uh, far afield, and return, but it's also the people that you've managed to attract here over the years and people who become staunchly Manitoban. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate as a University of Manitoba professor to actually um, uh, gain the support of the incredible people here at St. Boniface Hospital, uh, whether they are the donors, uh, the staff in my own laboratory, and the staff of this entire research center. Uh, the ability to work together as a collegial family here at St. B. And uh, although I'm getting the award, I, I wish there were a team award for, for this because really that's, uh, that's what's happening here. I've, I've been uh, extremely blessed and uh, lucky to have that behind me. Well, and Dr. Pierce, uh, I had the the opportunity to to tour the facility, the the research center, and met many members of your team. And it is all quite extraordinary work that's going on there. And obviously, this award, uh, as you pointed out, it's an individual honor. But what does it mean for the hospital, for your team? Well, I, th- I think it's just further recognition of the great work that we do here. We have uh, one of a kind facility. It's one of the best and has been recognized as that, one of the best in uh, in Canada and has international reputation. Uh, I've received uh, congratulations from uh, people from all over the world. I don't know how they know, but uh, they do. So it gives you a feel for the uh, outreach that occurs here nationally and internationally at St. Boniface Hospital, the Research Centre, and for the good work done at the University of Manitoba. So uh, obviously, I'm extremely honored uh, for the award, but also to be included in the group, as as Greg uh, outlined, uh, the group that's being inducted this year as a pretty uh, distinguished group. So I'm I'm honored to be part of that too. Now I'm embarrassed to to admit I don't know what you get when you are you know are you when you receive the Order of Manitoba? Is it a medal? Is it a pin? What do, what do you receive? Do you know? Um, I guess I'm going to find out in, in uh, you know, a month or so. <laughs> July 12th, to be exact, Room 200 in the Manitoba Legislative Building. Uh, an absolutely well-deserved honour. Dr. Grant Pierce, uh, thanks for your time and the incredible work that you do. So honoured to uh, know that you're doing this work right here in our own backyard. Thank you very much for having me, Greg.
Dr. Grant Pierce joining us live on 680 CJOB. Congratulations once again. He will be bestowed with the Order of Manitoba. Earlier this morning, we spoke with Norma Jean Vlachic, who lives in China. Winnipeg are living in China, saying, hey, we watch the Jets in the morning. Because it's, we spoke to her at 7 o'clock, it was 8.07 p.m. there. Um, so they're sort of backwards from where we are as far as times go. Well, in response to that, we got a text message from Carolyn, who says, listen to this. Here's a guy who flew home to Winnipeg from France to watch the hockey games. Wow. I thought I was impressive with what I did to be at the last Jets game in uh, 1996, coming in from Vernon, British Columbia. <laughs> Les Eddy is a Winnipegger living in France. And uh, Les, welcome home. Hello. How did you uh, convince the uh, other people in your life that this was the same thing to do, to come home to Winnipeg for two hockey games? Well, it, it was... Uh... That's actually the gravy of the hockey games. I coach American football in France. I'm a Winnipegger. I have four-season tickets, but I haven't been to a game since December. I've been out there coaching. It was my daughter's wedding social on Friday, on Saturday night, and, of course, I can't make it because it's the playoffs there. And uh, I, I was watching Game 7 there with uh, knowing that I'm coming to surprise her and cheering because I so wanted to go to the Jet games too. And uh, I, I left for the airport right after they won game seven, four planes, a shuttle, two car rides and uh, 30 hours. And I went to the the uh, hockey game before the social. Outstanding. Wow. Now, did your daughter know you were coming home for the social? No, nobody knew that I was coming except for my wife. And uh, the, the only thing that uh, my wife said that I can go to the game, but if it goes overtime, I have to leave and get to the wedding social. <laughs> <laughs> no, no such restrictions tonight, right? No such restrictions. We're going early. I got a whole bunch of buddies. We're going to the Met. I'm taking my daughter and my son and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're stoked. Les, how long have you been in France? Uh, since the beginning of December. So uh, is this... A, I have a playoff game next Sunday that I coach. <laughs> and what is coach. the what is the community in which you live there? Well, I, we play in the Catalan region. So uh, it's uh, South France. We're about a, just over an hour from Barcelona. So we're right on the... Uh, my place is right on the Mediterranean. We play our games in Pia and St. Laurent. I uh, live in St. Marie-la-Mer right on the sea. I can see lots of times I'm watching the uh, jet game in the middle of the night, uh, sitting, just uh, watching the sea in the background. Amazing. So tell us about, before we let you go real quick, uh, what it is that you're doing there. You've alluded to it somewhat. So you coach American football, is it? I do. I uh, coach. It's huge in Europe. I recruit athletes, my imports from uh, colleges in the States that aren't quite good enough to play in the CFL or the NFL. And uh, plus all the local players. I'd say it's a semi-pro level. My uh, youngest player is 18. My oldest player is 43. The, uh, all the French players have jobs, but uh, my import players, I have one American, one Swede, and one uh, Danish player. They get paid and all their expenses are taken care of and things like that. Well, Les, uh, hey, welcome back to Winnipeg, and thank you so much for making yourself available for a chat this morning. We appreciate it. 
Thank you very much. Looking forward to the jet game and then the 40-hour travel back to run practice on Thursday. I bet. I bet. <laughs> Only one more thing to say, right, Les? <laughs> go Jets, go. There you go. Let's <laughs> ready. Thanks. I was dropping off some dry cleaning the other day, and a lady said to me, go Jets, go, as I walked out the door. She goes, it's like our official salutation. That's right. Henceforth. Lester Reddy is a Jets fan. He's from Winnipeg. He's currently living in France uh, because he coaches football out there. We spoke with uh, Dana Spiring earlier from Economic Development Winnipeg about the Whiteout Street Party here in Winnipeg. We've heard about street parties in Selkirk, in Winkler. I imagine they're going on in other places. We'd love to hear from you about other parties that you might know about. We just got notice of one. What? 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 You mentioned Winkler. Oh, And yeah. I can see in the reflection through the window here, you stopped Jeff Braun in his tracks. He waited to see what you are going to say about Winkler. Oh. For those who don't know, Jeff Braun's from Altona. Friendly rivalry uh, with Winkler, Shelbyville, Springfield. It's not friendly at all. His own words. It's a friendly rivalry, <laughs> Springfield and Shelbyville. Yeah, I don't know how friendly it is between Altona and Winkler. Anyway. Anyway, uh, Brandon now getting in on the on the act they're going to have a viewing party for the road games coming up games three and four at West Toba Place slash Keystone Center so if you live in the Brandon area and you want to go and see the game with the masses there's an opportunity for you to do that five bucks to get in to the Keystone Center with the Jets doing so well and being of course the only Canadian team left in the Stanley Cup playoffs the city in case you hadn't noticed has united for its love of the team. And there may be a lot of things you don't know about the Jets, but John Waldman does. He is the author of the book, 100 Things Jets Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, uh, which I actually thought the subtitle should be, or 100 Things Greg Mackling Has Already Done. But he said, no, no, I'm, I want to know what, what John Waldman has to say. So, Mr. Waldman, good morning to you and welcome, sir. Good morning to you. So, John, uh, what would be what would be at the in the in the top five for for Jets uh, things to to know and do? <laughs> well, certainly, I mean, obviously, the uh, celebration that Portage and Maine, as we saw at the end of the second round, is still number one. Um, you got other things like uh, the signing of Bobby Hull and some of the origins of the original Jets, the first goals at each uh, stage of the franchise, WHA, uh, NHL 1.0, and NHL 2.0, uh, along with some of the other uh, intricacies, but. You know, it's sort of funny. When I first wrote the book, um, it was obviously a much different list than you would anticipate now uh, with the way the Jets have progressed. Now, I see that it has been named, and this is pretty cool, named one of the top 100 hockey books produced over the last five years. That must have been a nice little feather in your cap. Yeah, it actually caught me by surprise. Um, it was, uh, I first found out about the list because a uh, associate uh, of mine, Kevin Shea, who's done a couple books on the Maple Leafs, uh, posted about it on his Facebook page. So I figured, you know, I'd just uh, check it out just to uh, see if by chance it got on there. But I was nicely surprised, yeah, that it came in on that list and uh, ranks pretty well amongst uh, other titles in the 100 Things series. So outside of the WHA Jets, who won three Avco Cups in seven seasons and made it to the final, I think it was five of the seven years the yeah. uh, WHA was in existence. This is uncharted territory for Winnipeg professional hockey, I guess with all due respect to the Manitoba Moose, who did go <laughs> to the Calder Cup championship. But in terms of yeah. the top level of hockey that we've experienced here in Manitoba, it's it's all gravy now. But I, I would uh, dare to say that uh, a loss in this round to, to Vegas would have uh, folks uh, a little disappointed, don't you think, John? 
I think so. And it's merely because, and it's, it's sort of the same thing that we have, uh, that we started to build up is this expectation uh, that we were going to be advancing. I think Nashville um, certainly showed that they were as even with us as any team that has been in the league. But uh, these, the Knights uh, sort of have that perception that, you know, aside from that, they're an expansion team, et cetera, as everybody has been uh, chatting all year. Um, We've, uh, we've uh, really done well against them this year. We had a big victory uh, during their first uh, visit here in January. And I think that uh, really there's this perception that this team is on such a momentum, the Jets being, uh, that there's nothing that's really going to stop us in going to the finals. Now, you sent us some information here that uh, your first, this is your second attempt at doing a book on the Jets. What happened with your first attempt? <laughs> the uh, this was a, an update to a book that had previously been released. Unfortunately, the uh, publisher uh, went out of business uh, with just uh, when it left before uh, we went to press. Um, so it was disappointing at the time. But um, I guess the uh, it's either the stubbornness in me or just the drive uh, that so many uh, hockey aficionados have uh, to get to that uh, goal. So I just you know kept collecting uh, interviews as I went along and stayed on with uh, reporting for a couple different places including Beckett in the fourth period, and uh, just uh, kept going and found my opportunity to pitch to another company, and they bought in. So, John, give us uh, an obscure fact, maybe, that that some folks might not know about the Winnipeg Jets, but you unearthed in the research that you you did to to write this book. So I think that one of the things that people uh, know about is that hockey players are very superstitious, but uh, one of the ones that entertained me most, and possibly because I interviewed him so many times when he was with the, the Moose as a head coach, uh, was Randy Carlisle, who had a couple of different uh, superstitions. And depending on who I spoke to, whether it was uh, Lori Boschman or Luciano Bersato, each of them had a different uh, perspective of what his uh, his uh, superstitions were. It must have changed over time as uh, as he advanced more with the Jets. But it was uh, quite interesting to, to see and knowing how Carlisle is. He's a very, very stubborn, determined uh, individual and very driven. Um, it doesn't surprise me some of the stories that, uh, that starts to pop out about him. Now, John, obviously, you know, we don't want to give away the farm here. We want people to, to go out and, and get the book. I see that it's already available at Chapters and Indigo, and uh, pre-orders are available at McNally Robinson. But uh, the whiteout, I mean, that the whiteout is something that's just synonymous with the Winnipeg Jets. You can't, they, you can't have one without the other, really, uh, now. But this is uh, something that goes back over 30 years now. Yeah, it uh, originated in, uh, in 1985, and it was uh, dreamed up by Rob Paulson, who was with the Jets at and sales team, and sort of thought of the idea of, you know, let's, uh, let's give us a shot and see what we do. And obviously, uh, it took off very quickly from the 1945 team, was uh, considered to be before now uh, the top Jets team in history. Not that they had a lot of competition before then, uh, but it's amazing how much it has blown up that everybody uh, not only is celebrating at the arena, but you've got the whiteout parties. Now um, you've got the satellite parties, as you talked about off the, off the top. Um, you know, these were things that we didn't even see in 2015, the last time that the Jets were in the playoffs. And part, uh, to me, part of that is because there was the expectation we weren't going to be defeating the Anaheim Ducks. It was just good to get into the playoffs, but obviously uh, with the team position as it is now, um, it is 
blown up. And uh, kudos to the Jets for embracing uh, first and 25th and now uh, that whiteout celebration, even though the, uh, the players don't wear white anymore. Now, you mentioned 1987 and 1990, uh, quite good teams for the Jets. But we had Dave Ellett in studio a few weeks ago to launch the playoffs. And, and I suggested that the best team the Jets might have had was 1984-85 when they had mm-hmm. six 30-goal scorers. Uh, what's your take on the 84-85 team if, if Dale Howarchuk doesn't get hurt, doesn't get cross-checked by Jamie McCowan in the first round of the playoffs and gets his ribs broken? You know what? It's so hard because you're looking at still facing the Oilers. Um, I think it would have been a more competitive series than a question. I would probably would have pushed to the full tilt, but that was just a, such an incredible team uh, that the uh, driven players at that point in Edmonton, you're looking at Gretzky, Curry, Messier, Lowe, Pure, all in their prime, and it's hard. And as, as good as we were, I think ultimately um, it would have been uh, probably the net money that would have given, a, given us the, uh, the disadvantage. We had Brian Hayward, of course, uh, manning the pipes for us, but uh, putting uh, Hayward up against Pure, I don't think there's any question that Pure still would have come out, but it would have been definitely a better series, no well, questions asked. Well, and the 84 85 Oilers team was just voted the best NHL team of all time, so it would have been an epic battle for sure. Just a case of bad timing for the Jets. Maybe the timing this year will end up being much, much better. Absolutely. And, and when you look at what's, uh, what's emerging now, you're looking at uh, the battle of the W's as it were potentially in the Stanley Cup between Washington and Winnipeg. And uh, quite frankly, if it comes down to that, you're going to see uh, the most entertaining matchup that you could see, which is two high goal scorers with Epstein and Line A. Not only for that reason, but because Line A, um, as he's talked about numerous times, uh, grew up watching Vetskin and idolizing him. And the, 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 the potency of both players is, would be absolutely fantastic. But I think, uh, uh, you know, and obviously it's in the dream sequence, but uh, if Tampa were to come back and we ended up playing down, I think that you've got a, a good amount of history there, uh, not only because of the uh, potential for Stamkos versus Shifley, et cetera, but uh, as I referenced in the book, there are a number of uh, preseason games that were played in Winnipeg uh, by, by visiting NHL clubs before the team came back. And one of those, uh, the last one was in 2010 uh, when it was the Tampa Lightning and the Chicago Blackhawks that played. So it would be a nice uh, bookend, as it were. John, thank you for this. My pleasure. John Waldman is author of 100 Things Jets Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. It was shortlisted for the Carol M. Shields Winnipeg Book Award in 2016. It was named one of the top 100 hockey books produced over the last five years. It's well-received by Jets players, staff, and alumni. Pre-orders available at McNally Robinson. It's also available currently at Chapters and Indigo. John mentioned the fact that we may be on a collision course here for a battle of the W's, Winnipeg versus Washington. Mm -hmm. It's kind of bizarre, but if you're into alphabetizing things, because of the way Las Vegas has shortened the name to Vegas, Golden Knights, we actually have... In alphabetical order, the final, the last four teams competing in the final four. Tampa, Vegas, Washington, Winnipeg. Just a bizarre idiosyncrasy. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Channel Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. And they-